I'm not saying for sure, but it looked like the work of some kind of psychotic. I mean, who else would stab somebody 20 or 30 times? I heard it was 15. Well, my dad doesn't know anything for sure yet. But for all we know, the killer could be sitting right next to you. That's Melissa. She was the last person to see Johnny alive. She might as well take her clothes off. She's beautiful. Melissa, what are you thinking, sweet Melissa? Are you with us still, Melissa? You look so Hi, this is Linda Day George, and the hysteria continues. Yes, indeed it does. The hysteria continues. Welcome back to the show, uh, episode 260. And this time we are doing a flashback to a film that we've done a commentary for, for 88 films, um, about four or five years ago, maybe. Um, We'd never actually done an episode on. So if you have heard that commentary, if you haven't, then it's I think it's still in print. So it's definitely worth picking up that disc. Uh, it's got a great interview with Jim Harper, who uh, wrote Blood Legacy, another slasher movie book. Uh, but um, we found out some new information that wasn't on the commentary, so uh, they should hopefully make a good companion piece. So yeah, that's going to be the main pick for today, 1982 or 83's Sweet 16. So, But we are ex- very excited to be joined uh, by friends of the show, Rob uh, Balducci. Is, did I say your name right, Rob? Yep, that's right. Okay, well, I'm glad to glad to hear it. So, uh, so how are you, Rob? Are you, uh, you know, I know you've been a long time listener. Um, so it's good to have you on the show. So, how are you doing this fine morning? I'm doing great. Very excited to talk about Sweet Sixteen, a film that I've seen a couple times, but it was good to finally revisit it after a few years. Yeah, it's it is funny. I know. Obviously, we talk. Uh, obviously, when we get onto the main feature but because we've been going for over 10 years now is actually going back to some of the films we have covered either on commentary or or when i reviewed on history lives some of them i haven't seen for over 20 years so it is kind of interesting to go back and watch them with a fresh pair of eyes so um um well also eric joins us of course from ireland how are you doing eric i like turtles you like what i like turtles turtles oh hang on sally just walked in they the greatest hits, as if he hasn't heard it all before. Um, and Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Unlike Eric, I'm the only one in this room. <gasps> so you have no animals today? Why? Because they are distracting and they make a lot of noise. Why? For love. <sighs> but of course. And I'm not sure. The, the $64,000 question is, do we have Joseph on the call? Yes. <gasps> we do. We do. Okay. How are you doing, Joseph? Have you just woken up? Yeah, I fell asleep in my uh, my office chair. We were, we were a little bit worried that you might have been killed by the Sweet 16 killer, because I know, um, obviously you won't give away the, um, the identity of the killer just yet, but uh, the killer has a uh, predilection for young men. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure anyone can, would figure out who the killer is just yet. I was going to say the movie does a great job of keeping the killer's identity secret. It, it well, it does. It does indeed. Um, but I, I was going to say, actually, it's a predilection for young men. It probably rules us all out, unfortunately, doesn't it? Hey, what? 
Well, we, we don't know how old Rob, Rob Balducci is. How old are you, Rob? <laughs> are you allowed? To, are we allowed to ask? I'm 41, so... Me yeah. too. Ah, well, there you go. Well, so, so we should all be safe from the killer unless there's uh, someone targeting middle-aged men. So, anyway, and of course, we're talking about a film called Sweet 16, so it's all very confusing. But, uh, yeah, before we get on to the main feature, obviously, uh, we do... Um, uh, Rob, you know the... I'm sure you know the format of the show, Inside Out. So we're just going to have a quick chat about what we've been watching recently. So as our special guest for this episode, do you want to tell us about anything uh, you've seen in the next uh, over the last couple of weeks or so? Sure. I rewatched Nightmare on Elm Street the other day. I was planning on going through the series again. It's a, it's a series that I've I've only seen a few of them once, like parts four through six. I've only seen once, mm. and the remake I've only seen once. So it's it's a series that I definitely it's time to revisit. And how did the original but, stand up? It's it's good. It's cheesy. It's still a classic. I still like it. Yeah. Well, Last so time I saw it, I think it was actually on the big screen. So. That was a lot of fun. Excellent. Well, I say I've kind of mentioned that was the first ever um, adult horror, as in sort of, in, not adult as in sexy, but adult horror film I ever saw at the cinema back in 1984, 85. So, uh, yeah, that will always hold a special place in my heart. So um, would you like to pin your um, your colours to the mast? Is it uh, toy? If you were stuck on a desert island, you knew you had toy records or Susie records, uh, which ones would you bring? I'm definitely more of a Susie man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that, Ross. So, so, sorry, Eric. Um, obviously, you know, one day you'll get someone on who likes Toya more than Susie. But, um, so, Nightmare on Elm Street, anything else you've been watching, Rob? Um, I watched Bait 3D for the first time. Okay. Did you watch it in 3D? Yeah, I have a 3D TV, so that was that was a lot of fun in 3D. Okay. Ooh, how was the 3D mm. on that? It was really good. I mean, the effects, like the CGI, was really cheap. But, I mean, anything in 3D is a hundred times better so yeah i've i've seen i've watched this one on 3d blu-ray as well and and the 3d is excellent really good really and it's a kind of a fun movie as well to go with it so it's a winner all around definitely one to watch in 3d cool okay we'll see if i can pick that up cheap i'm sure it's not going it's probably going cheap isn't it at the moment so uh, i would imagine so yeah excellent anything else rob um speaking of 3d i just got the kino blu-ray for treasure of the four crowns Ooh, i have that in order it's not a horror movie, but it's, you know, I don't know. Anything in 3D, it's it's a cult movie. So um, I started watching it. I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched like the first 30 minutes. And it's definitely something that if you're not watching in 3D, there's no point watching it because the whole film from what I've seen so far is just stuff popping out at you. There's like no real story. Yeah, it's from the same makers as uh, Coming At You, which was the Western 3D movie from 1981, which is quite plotless as well and it's almost like a silent film there's so little dialogue in it that uh it just really is an excuse for a string of 3d effects and i i've seen treasure of the four crowns in 2d and it's very much of the same ilk yeah the coming at you blu-ray that i have is terrible like the 3d crosses your eyes but this one the 3d is really good on it so oh, cool Excellent. Okay, we well, have a lot of love for 3D on this podcast, so that's all good. Um, anything? Anything else? Um, the only other thing I rewatched Carrie, the original Carrie. It's been one of my favorites since I was a teenager, so it's always good to go back to that one. Does it make you cry when it turns really sad at the end? Um, no. <laughs> oh, me, me neither. I, I was just. Yeah. Well, it's kind of. I know. I feel so bad for her. So do I. 
I mean, she thinks that finally she's accepted, like she doesn't feel like an outsider, and then they had to go and pull that. Mind you, I felt more sorry for um, Amy Irving's career in uh, Rage Carry 2. <laughs> Justin's just being a bully again. No, no it's just that she comes bully me. She comes back as a you know as character, and then they the way they kill her off is so anticlimactic. It was a bit of a slap in the face. Anyway, that's one we covered on our '90s podcast, I think. So top three. So yeah. um, so excellent. Well, thank you, Rob. Um, we're l- looking forward to hearing what you think about Sweet Sixteen. Uh, before we do that, um, Nathan, uh, what have you been watching? Um, well, I haven't watched anything of no um that we haven't already discussed like yesterday uh, or friday i did watch the original friday the 13th because i love that movie the more i watch it the more i love it and um you know it was it was a great experience um so yes i love that movie and and i'm sure we'll talk about it more uh in days to come um, but the only other thing I watched, uh, and again, uh, this is going to be shocking, especially to Eric, is I watched some more sci-fi. <gasps> I know. It was the Star Trek show again. Gosh, you'll be going to Trek conventions next dressed up as Mr. Spock. Uh, I mean, let's not go nuts, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, no, no, not that I'm judging anyone. I mean, I go to horror conventions, so hey, I mean, well, I used to when I had money. Uh, and like I said last time, the, uh, the the talking in the Star Trek show, a lot of times I don't know what they're saying, but the effects are cool. Um, uh, but, you know, they, they have a lot of, like, intelligent stuff going on, and I feel like it's hard for me to follow it. So usually I have to pause it and ask Wes questions. Like, okay, well, why do they think that, you know, shooting at this comet is going to turn its trajectory away from planet nebula or you know something like that so instead of an hour it takes you a day to watch the show well i mean i like to know everything that's going on and you know it's it's like i said it's a very intelligent you know like show slash series and i think that may be why i couldn't get into sci-fi before is it's very smart stuff and um, when I'm watching movies, my brain usually is turned off. Alien versus Predator is not terribly smart. I haven't seen that one. God, I just asked a simple question. <laughs> Nathan, have you seen the Star Trek one where they all put Uranus? <laughs> wah, 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 there. Take that, Justin. Yeah, Justin. That was your bad joke. <laughs> but thankfully, I'm the one with the sound effects, so I'll, get, I'll, I'll cut in uh, some clapping noises. Anything else? No, just those things. Okay, well, um, Eric, how about you? Uh, no, I don't think I've watched any movies. I did watch some of the extras in the, on my Friday the 13th box set on Friday the 13th, not realising that was the date. But um, I haven't really watched any films. I was drinking lots of mojitos at my niece's 21st last night. So um, she uh, has worked as a cocktail waitress last summer, so she makes mighty fine mojitos. What special features did you look at on your on the box set? I was what oh, there's there's very long interviews with um, Harry Manfredini and Steve Miner and Sean Cunningham on the bonus disc in the box set that I had kind of half watched, so I sat down and watched them properly. The Harry Manfredini one goes on a bit because uh, he talks about his early life pre Friday the Thirteenth, and it's not terribly interesting to me anyway. And the interview goes on for about thirty five minutes. But um, yes, yeah, so there's some some of those interviews I I hadn't really properly watched, so I was watching them. Oh, and I watched 
part two with the commentary track from um, Russell Todd, uh, Lauren Marie Taylor, uh, Stu Charno, Bill Randolph, and I think it's moderated by Peter Brackey, who did the book. Uh, so that was good, a fun listen as well. So yeah, I did a few Friday the 13th things. Excellent. That's good. And did you mm. did you hear that? I mean, just keep. I mean, this may be slightly out of date by the time this comes out, but uh, the the court ruling about um, the rights to Friday the Thirteenth. Mm. Yeah, I heard something. Yeah. Well, it doesn't look like we'll be getting one. Um, sort of Victor Miller and Sean Cunningham have basically got rights to the films, or in various incarnations. Yeah, about. one can use the title, one can't use the title, one can use Jason, one can't use Jason, or something like that. Couldn't they just make a Jason Voorhees movie and just call it the Thirteenth of Friday? <laughs> they could call him. They could do a French one and have him as Jackie. Yeah, like yeah, <laughs> Jackie, Jackie. Well, I think they should uh, just change his name up a little bit. He could be um, Mason. Yeah, Mason uh, Corhees. Indeed. Are you, are you a fan of the Friday Thirteenth movies, Rob? I am. Yeah. So I'm actually wearing a Friday the Thirteenth shirt right now. Ah. Excellent. Uh, I just I just don't understand why. I mean, they'd both make a lot of money if they just like put it out together. Like, why don't they just work together and, mm. and put it out? But it seems like they'd be making a lot more money than they would if just keeping it in court for for years. Yeah, mm. there must just be a lot of bad blood, I can guess. But uh, unfortunately, so okay. Uh, and um, Joseph, uh, have you seen anything you want to tell us about? Uh, I finished Ozark. But other than that, no, I haven't watched any movies lately. Did it's Ozark a, have a good ending? Eh, I, I mean, I got it. I got what they were trying to do, but I felt like it needed a few extra episodes to kind of stick the landing. But, you know, it's uh, I, I really enjoyed the show a lot. So, yeah, I recommend it. Is it because um, I watched the first series and maybe the second, I can't remember, but I kind of, it, when it looked like it was going to go on and on and on forever. So I kind of lost interest. Is it, was it worth sticking with? Yeah. I mean, I, lo- I love the characters, um, you know, very well acted. I mean, God, Laura Linney and Jason Bateman are just fantastic. Uh, Julie Garner as a uh, Ruth. She's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed the characters, even if it, you know, went on for four seasons. Had a lot of fun with it, so very dark stuff as well. Okay, right. Well, thank you, everyone. I just kind of, I don't think I mentioned. I think I mentioned it was my birthday, and I had some friends around. We're going to do some non exploitation, which we didn't end up doing. And we, in the end, we were going to watch another film we'd already done a commentary for, Bloody Birthday. Uh, but in the end, uh, we watched um, uh, another film we'd done a commentary for, for Vinegar Syndrome, Nothing Underneath, The Jalo, and um, and then we watched Night of the Demon, the Bigfoot movie from 1980 oh that which, movie is so good yeah now nathan i've got a little mini quiz for you let's mm-hmm. see if you do you know the connection between night of the demon 1980 and sweet 16 um i'm gonna say um not of the demon um features uh someone doing like the guppy face thing that you talk about justin (laughs) in your reviews and you say that dana kimmel does that as well in friday 13th part three so i'm gonna say the guppiness it's a good good answer but it's not the correct one but i think uh well i'd throw it open to rob first do you know rob uh i do not no okay Fair enough. But uh, I, think... I know a connection between Bloody Birthday and Sweet Sixteen. Ah, and uh, that would be, I know what it is, Ooh. but yeah. Susan Strasberg. Yes. Right. So Yay. I don't know about Night of the Demon. 
Ah, okay, Eric, because I know Joseph knows. Okay, I think I know it. I think, is it because uh, Dana Kimmel has no willy and that guy in Nice to the Demon, after he goes for the wee in the bushes, has no willy either? Another valiant attempt, but no, not quite right. But Joseph, Um, uh, let's see, I'm sure you do know. Yes, it's uh, the actor who plays Professor Nugent, Michael J. Cutt, is in uh, Sweet 16. He's the, the de- one of the deputies, isn't he? He's the one that gets locked in the uh, the bunk. I, it's funny, I didn't actually know him until I was re-watching today, and because I'd watched Night the Demon uh, a couple of weeks ago, I just thought, uh, I just thought I know that face, so I looked it up and I realized. Well, I saw the I saw the name in the credits, and I'm like, where where do I know that name? Then I saw his face, and I'm like, who is that guy? And I finally looked it up, and I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that's who that is. I was like, cool. Yes. So, anyways, lots of uh, degrees of separation. So, uh, I guess it's time now to get onto the main feature. So, I have a, um, uh, where are we? Uh, I've got a trailer here, which is about three minutes long, which I'll play uh, because it's got lots of great dialogue from the movie. And after this, uh, we shall come back. Uh, well, I'll come, I'll, as it's my choice, I'll come back in with the intro for Sweet 16. <laughs> Maybe you'd like to go for a ride. Maybe I would. It's like multiple stab wounds in the back, the arms and the chest. Somebody really did a number on it. Yeah, some new girl. She said her name was Melissa. Listen, you know, Johnny was killed. What? Now, you were with that boy, Johnny, last night, weren't you? Jesus Christ. Yes. We went for a drive and he took me right home. She got back around midnight, Sheriff. I saw the boy with her and I told him to go home. Dad, what are you doing out here? My daughter is 15 years old. I'll be 16 next week. I'm not saying for sure, but it looked like the work of some kind of psychotic. That's Melissa. She was the last person to see Johnny alive. She's beautiful. I'll be there. See you tonight. You know, this isn't the best part of town for a little girl, so why don't you just go home? Tommy! Jesus Christ! I saw who did it. You've seen him before? Yeah, the old Indian. But he was the only one there. He had to do it. <laughs> Great family did not do this. There's something funny going on around here. There's two dead kids already. Two! The computer picked up some real interesting information on a Jason Longshadow. On those knives, we found blood on one of them. I should have seen it coming. Will we ever see but everything else fits. Something just isn't right. You know, Melissa, you like to make up stories, don't you? You like the attention that they get you. Well, this time your little story killed someone. You know, you might as well have put the rope around his neck yourself. Oh, he must.
I'm okay, Marcy. Teenager Melissa moves into a small town filled with racial prejudice, bullying and a cuppy-faced teenager Nancy Drew-style uh, amateur detective. And each time she meets up with one of the boys in the town, they end up being murdered. But who is the killer in Sweet 16? So that was kind of a, a, mix, a mishmash of a very short synopsis of IMDb. And um, I hope you all had your lighters aloft during the, the theme song for Sweet Melissa. Or the sweet, which I think it's called Sweet Melissa. Uh, in fact, actually, we used to have a friend called Melissa. Well, not used to, but someone we used to know. And we used to taunt her with that song. So anyway, a fun little tidbit there. I wonder if she remembers that. Hey, so, I do that with my friend Melissa. Do you? <laughs> I used to play this song and drive her crazy. Yeah. Well, I love the song, though. I Well, are you, can you guess what we're playing out with? It's one of those, it's, it's a bit, it's almost right up there with um, Midnight, the song from Midnight, isn't it? The, that kind of keeps on playing throughout the movie. So, I mean, it's a terrible song, but it's a bit of an earworm. So, Sweet 16. Yes, as I say, I mentioned we'd covered this on um, when we did the 88 Films commentary some years ago. Uh, which is why we hadn't covered it uh, yet, basically. So I think enough time has elapsed for us to go back to this movie. Uh, and we was, as we were saying, it's kind of interesting to revisit some of these movies to see how they hold up after all this time. Now, Sweet 16 is, I think it's probably fair to say, it's not a movie that has a, um, a particularly good reputation um, amongst the wider kind of, you know, audiences, I kind of guess. Uh, also, I think it's a film that kind of failed to find audiences at, at the time, but it is uh, a film that has some uh, interesting aspects to it. Uh, I mean, one of them, obviously, the, the the main one is that the kind of flipping the stereotypical idea of the female victim on its head, and um, all the well, almost all of the victims in this are teenage boys. So I don't. I'm I'm trying to think of any other film that done that, but. Uh, so it also, but it has, it's kind of a film that kind of wants to be Friday the 13th, um, but doesn't. It's a bit like, again, we mentioned Susan Strasberg in a film like Bloody Birthday, which is taking lots of toys out of the Friday the 13th and the Halloween toy box, but um, perhaps trying to be do something a little bit different. So uh, it, there's no need to worry. I mean, this is a slasher movie through and through. Um, but I arguably for me, uh, as much as I like it and I, you know, the, for all the wrong reasons in so much, I do think Dana Kimmel's performance is, um, and I'm sure she's a lovely woman and all that, but it is hilarious. Um, you know, she, uh, the, the way she's so earnest and doing that kind of Nancy Drew stuff and it's so kind of overacted. Uh, and she doesn't make the guppy face, Nathan, but it gets close. Well, apart from the time when she finds the dead body and it does that kind of that rapid zoom on her face and she's uh, got her mouth wide open and the big O. Um, so, and also, um, is it Alicia um, Dixon? Not Dixon. No, that's the, that's uh, Strictly Come Dancing. What's her name? Elisa? Alicia? Help me out, someone. What's her name? Shirley. Shirley, that's the one. Shirley. And again, she's not. Um, she's probably not going to win any thespian prizes. In fact, I mean, not going to background yet, but uh, this was three months after she started acting classes, so I think can cut her some slack. But what you do have, of course, you have um, uh, surrounded by very able 
uh, kind of acting pedigree from uh, Don Stroud, um, uh, Patrick McNee, um, uh, Susan Strasberg, Bo Hopkins are all kind of uh, faces that are well known to anyone who's interested in cult and horror movies uh, or cult and horror TV as well. So it's kind of, I would say, for me, I would have liked a little bit more um, sort of a kind of the, the stalk and slash stuff going on, maybe a couple of more sort of uh, victims um, and kind of scenes along those lines. So I think because you have so many of these kind of adult characters in this, it kind of, uh, you know, and quite a lot of the time is given over to them because obviously presumably they're the ones getting paid the most money. It kind of makes the film a little kind of a bit halting at times. Um, having said that, it's it, it has that kind of weird th- uh, thing that you um, you well you you wouldn't get now necessarily, but with a slasher movie, this kind of this kind of weird sense of, for want of a better term, perversity in so much that Melissa is um, obviously the actress is not fifteen years old, but the character is meant to be fifteen year old, fifteen years old, and uh, you've got um, uh, men t- two or three times her age, sort of lecturing after her, making inappropriate comments. Uh, she's already sexually active, um, and uh, and then of course you you have what essentially is what was accused Friday Thirteenth was accused of is essentially um, sex equals murder, which is very much uh, what this film kind of the the message perhaps this film has as far as kind of when certainly when we find out who the killer is, which you will spoil a bit later, um, but also the kind of uh, the, their motivation as well. So it also has the kind of the kind of slightly weird, not weird, but the kind of the red herring of the uh, Native American sort of uh, subplot, and you know it's almost um, a, you know it kind of feels like the film might go into a slightly supernatural thing just just when it you know you have the idea of teenagers making out on an old Indian burial ground, which is probably not a good idea. Um, but the that kind of subplot uh, doesn't really go anywhere apart from throwing red herrings all over the shop. Um, so I, having said that, I I do, you know, as I said, um, Dana Kimmel was uh, her performance is pretty awful, but it is very very entertaining. Um, I think she's got uh, sort of great chemistry with uh, Steve Vantin and Bo Hopkins, but it's more uh, kind of uh, it, it feels like it's more like something you would see in an episode of Nancy Drew or The Hardy Boys. Um, rather than an R-rated slasher flick, and um, some uh, some info that I've dug up uh, more recently might explain why that could be. But yeah, so I'm really pleased we're covering Sweet Sixteen finally. So um, I'm interested to hear some other opinions. So Rob, uh, is this a favourite of yours, or uh, what are your thoughts on Sweet Sixteen? Um, yeah, I, th- I think Sweet Sixteen's a blast. It's really silly. Um, it's like you said, it's kind of odd how they have these you know pretty pretty good actors mixed in with some really really bad performances but but it all i don't know it just makes the film more fun i think and the the whodunit aspect i think i mean it kept me guessing till the end i'd even seen this film a while ago but i couldn't remember who who the killer was so so i thought it was good i mean they they kind of you know they kept pushing towards one character to you know to be the killer which obviously it you knew it wasn't going to be, but but I wasn't really sure who it, who it was going to be in the end. So I, I thought that part of it worked. Um, I thought the deaths were pretty bloodless, or I mean, they were bloody but not really gory. Just kind of you know red paint thrown over people. But towards the end, you saw a little bit more blood, which is good. And the skinny dipping scene I thought was really creepy, just because 
you know, characters, even though the actress definitely wasn't 15 or 16, the, the character being that age was really cringy. So that was kind of a weird thing. But but overall, I mean, I, I like the film a lot. I think, like you said, the slasher aspect of it, it would be better if it had more stock and slash stuff. Um, it has, it kind of goes in different places, like, you know, different subplots, but, but overall, I think it's a lot of fun. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you, Rob. I'm sure we'll come back to you uh, shortly as well for some more thoughts, but uh, Joseph, uh, what are your thoughts on Sweet 16? Yeah, I don't believe I've ever considered myself a fan of Sweet 16, even though we did the commentary, but I watched it last night uh, just in time for the show. And I must say, I, I really enjoyed it this time around. I mean, I can see that it's a little slow to get going, and it uh, it, uh, it piles on needless subplots to obviously fill the runtime, but I don't know. I think it's that the characters here are so fleshed out in contrast to how they typically are in slasher films, and they're very likable, and you know the, the unlikable ones are there when they need them to be. And I don't know, I like that sort of small town kind of, uh, that interlocking byplay between the characters. I think it kind of helps endear them to you. The uh, the slasher stuff is kind of there, but it's slight. I had an issue with how the um, the murder scenes actually were, how they're kind of shot and uh, edited together. You get more of a sense of the surroundings than you do the knife play at hand, and it's quite disappointing. But um, I got a kick out of the identity of the killer but because, I mean, wow. They may as well have included an air raid siren every time they appeared on screen. Um, I mean, the more I'm talking about it, the more I think... Uh, the more I, I don't necessarily think it works fully as a slasher movie, but it's uh, it's quirky and likable. Otherwise, um, I mean, it's got all kinds of genres inside the film. Like it's got the drama. It's got the, the small town kind of gossip drama, the thriller. Uh, it's got all that stuff. It's kind of, you know, blended out in like, I don't know, it's kind of spaced out, but it kind of works when it's all put together. I um, I love the opening scene with Dana Kamel in what looks like an old Victorian bedroom. And she's dressed the part and she's reading this mystery novel. Um, of course, it turns out it's just a dream to let us know that she likes to read mystery novels. I mean, it has no other purpose whatsoever. And then if as if the 15,000 shots of her reading that uh, that mystery novel throughout the rest of the movie wasn't an indication that she likes them. Uh, we, we get this dream sequence, you know, just to hammer that home. So, yeah, I mean, thumbs up for me. It's far from perfect. But I don't know. I think it's it's very watchable. I I had fun with it this time. Okay. Well, thank you, thank you, Joseph. Um, um, Eric, what about you? Yeah, I kind of enjoy this film as well. I don't think it's it's too bad of a watch. I wouldn't be like uh, going gaga over it and watching it multiple times. Now, speaking of watching it multiple times, and you're all going to laugh at me when I say this, but every time I sit down to watch Sweet Sixteen, I can't remember who the killer is. Yes, yes, yes. Go on, get your laughing out of the way. Oh, tumbleweed. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I saw this film maybe two or three times in the past, and then when we did the commentary, my usual routine is to watch it maybe three or four times. So no matter how many, how many times I watch it, every time I put the Blu-ray into the machine, I'm like, ooh, I can't remember who the killer is. The only thing is I, things I ever remember about Sweet Sixteen are uh, Dana's guppy face when she finds the dead body in the in the countryside, and when she slaps Melissa after the funeral and says, "You might as well put the rope around his neck, you bitch." Uh, which Can is I, great- Eric? I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Can I ask you? Do you find it weird how quickly Melissa became friends with Dana Kamel? I mean, she it's, she she gives her the riot act, and then she just gives this half-hearted apology, and then suddenly they're all, oh BFF forever. 
I know. If, if somebody accused me. I always got yeah. the vibe that Melissa desperately wanted to be her friend, but, um, you know, never got the chance uh, because it seemed like other girls did not like Melissa. Um, the guys did, but the girls did not. So I think she just wanted a friend, like a female friend. Yeah, but it's the way it happens. It's like one minute she's saying, you might as well have killed him yourself, you bitch. And then within a split second, they're suddenly best buddies. <laughs> It's just the the rap the rapid nature of the transition. I think is is what's quite galling in this instance. Um, yeah, but I mean, looking back on it now, uh, rewatching it during the week, yeah, it does become obvious who the killer is. But you know, it's probably not until it gets to the birthday party scenes that I began to twig who the killer was. Yes, I know you can set up a WhatsApp group and laugh and make fun of me behind my back all you want. I don't care. But that's just the way it is, okay? But um, I agree with you, uh, Joseph. I love the small text and town setting. I think it it's it gives it a, a sort of a unique ambience. It, it, all, it feels like it's taking place in the same universe as Tremors to me. Um, and visually, I suppose it evokes something like Death Valley, which we covered recently. Um, and there are points in Sweet 16 where it feels like we've almost traveled back in time. I know it's set in the what was the present day then, 1982 slash 83. But uh, sometimes it feels like the 50s because... Um, you know, the some of the characters, like when they turn up to this 16th birthday party and they're wearing clothes that looks like they're extras from Little House on the Prairie. And I mean, in what universe is it acceptable to give a 16 year old girl a handkerchief as a birthday present? I mean, come on. It's good for mopping up blood. <laughs> well, true. Yeah. But um, it, like, yeah, heaven help anyone who gave me a handkerchief for a birthday present. Otherwise, I'd be going full on Inga. Did you? I was sorry, it, but only just what it occurred to me. Did you like the fact that the the killer? It turns out the, who the killer is um, suggests to the sheriff they should have a have a big party to cheer themselves up after the first murder. That was that was brilliant. And he said his response is, "Do you know what? A party is just what this town needs." I like how <laughs> I like how they invited the entire town to this girl's sixteenth uh, birthday party. It's like she doesn't have any friends, so oh, we'll just invite the the local yeah. pharmacist who's like eighty years just, old. He'll be there. Yeah. Because they've just moved in to town temporarily because the father's on an archaeological dig. So they know no, none of them know anybody there. So Well, the, the mother we know has a past, sort of, there. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I love the fact that Dana Kimmel uh, likes to read murder mystery novels that are called Murder Mystery. Um, it kind of does what it says on the front cover of the book. Um, it's like reading a horror novel called Horror. Um, and, yeah, the leering shots of Melissa... You know, it's obvious the actress is in her 20s, so it kind of um, takes the edge off it. But the fact that the character is meant to be 15, I probably, you know, when I saw this for the first time, that issue, that was probably wasn't an issue for me. But, you know, in the current climate, it's there's something kind of creepy about that. And as Justin said, all of the people who are leching on her seem to be kind of, you know, 40 or 50 somethings at this local bar. Um, I did like the fact that there was uh, those subplots. I know, I know they're kind of, possibly unnecessary but it does give a, a, the film a kind of a meatier feel than something like Friday the 13th or Halloween which I love by the way and I think are better film films than this one is but this one has um, you know that racism thing going on in the background with the Native American community and the rednecks and uh, you know the that type of thing would it is not something that ever happens in a Friday the 13th or Halloween sequel so uh, I mean they're, they're obviously trying to make it a quote proper movie 
but um, I think it's pretty good. It's, the pace is languid, and when the, the the slasher thrills do happen, they're quite abrupt, as in there's no kind of build-up. Uh, you know, Halloween and Friday the 13th kind of cornered the market in being able to build up to a uh, kill scene. There'd be sort of lots of POV shots from behind a tree or something, and it, um, I don't know, it just gave the film more suspense and felt more like a horror film, whereas this one doesn't feel like a bona fide slasher as as you were saying um it you know it seems to focus more on the mystery and the investigation uh i did like that ditzy librarian character though the one who's uh has a crush on the sheriff and who's constantly talking about food which uh kind of reminded uh she kind of reminded me of myself slightly although I would be talking about chocolate rather than um, volivants or whatever she's talking about. I can't she's remember. a bit pushy, isn't she? She's like, everything he says, like, oh, my God, someone just got killed. She's like, I love you. <laughs> yeah. Like, my God, <laughs> or, lady, give it a rest. Or somebody just got killed. And I'd have the asparagus with, you know, this sauce on it. And I'd have it with white wine. Uh, that's what I liked about her. I also like the fact that Don Shanks is in this playing a character called Jason. And of course, he went on to play Michael Myers in Halloween 5. So he can tell everyone he played Jason and Michael, even though it's a different Jason. But still, I thought that was kind of a, a fun thing to notice. Um, that final shot of the traumatized Melissa, I suppose that's a bit of a spoiler. It was used as the... Um, cover art for the UK VHS so it kind of spoiled the ending but I thought that was quite haunting I thought the the conclusion of the film I thought was quite strong it had a girls night out kind of quality to it I thought um but as I said the slasher thrills when they do arrive are uh, you know they're quite abrupt I mean they're, they're they're vicious I mean they're not gory as such but they are quite vicious um but uh, they, they kind of needed more build-up and more suspense being put into them to make it, you know, a, a, an A-lister for me. But uh, I thought it was pretty good. And I, I I don't know. I think Dana Kimmel's okay in this film. You know? Am I going to be ostracized for saying that? I mean, I think her character is fun. I think Melissa's worse, honestly. Do you? The actress who plays Melissa. I, I think, think she... I don't have a problem with either of them, really. Well, I don't either, but I think I still think Dana Kimmel's better than she is in this film. Okay. I mean, mm. I think it's just that they give such a over-the-top performance. I mean, it's a fun... Mm. They both give a fun performance, you know, and I'd much rather watch uh, kind of a, a fun, bad performance than a really earnest one that's dull. So yeah. I don't... I'm not... You know, it's when I say... I mean, that's why I have a love-hate relationship with Dana Kimmel in these movies, because... I love watching her, but um, it's just it's 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 just so over the top um, and bug eyed and that kind of you know her approach to acting in these it's it's just so broad that it is mm. hilarious. You no, know, it's it's very enjoyable. It's but I don't think it's very very good performance. Whereas I'd say that her brother, the guy Steve Antin, he came across as a believable teenage boy. Yeah. Um, that wasn't over the top, whereas that she was her, her character was this kind of. I mean, to be fair to her, I mean, her character was kind of fairly ridiculous. She was like dressed like Princess Di- in a Princess Diana blouse with that kind of boofy hairdo, um, and she's only meant to be fifteen. So, and <laughs> you know, she's saddled with that that um, that kind of dialogue going. She's beautiful, you know that. So, to be fair to her, you know, it's you know, there's only so much you can do with it. Um, but uh, but well, let's see what uh, Nathan has to say about Sweet Sixteen. 
Um, I love Sweet 16. Um, I do kind of understand, you know, the people who have um, negative things to say, you know, that they'll say, you know, that it's kind of a slow movie, uh, slowly paced. Um, and, you know, the body count is small and I like them bigger. <laughs> There's a quote for you, Justin. Put that on yeah. your, car, <laughs> on your <laughs> soundboard. I like them bigger. The body counts. Uh, and I like them to have more of a variety, like uh, different weapons used and stuff like that. And you know, for this one, you know, it's 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 knives, you know, knobs. I don't know why I said knobs. You know, that's just a, you know, just a southern thing, I guess. Um, I love the artwork for Sweet Sixteen. You know, the uh, girl in the water, and like underneath the water, her bottom half of her body is a knife blade. I feel like she'd have a hard time walking and pooing. Well, but it is a very cool artwork. Um, I could just see her walking around that way, though. doesn't make it as scary. kind of makes it comical. Uh, and like Eric, I, I really like Dana Kimmel in this movie. And, and Melissa, I actually think that um, the ending, you know, when she's like, Melissa, and Melissa's like, you know, I'm fine, Marcy. I don't know. I, I thought that was a, like a well-done scene. And then it cuts to Melissa going in the doorway and, you know, the songs playing and, you know, you hear like her mom screams in the background. Um, um, I'm like, that's just I thought that was really well done. I think it's an excellent uh, ending. It was a very dark ending. And do you think, uh, Nathan, do you think that ending influenced a certain Halloween sequel? Namely part four, because the ending of part yeah, four. Because, mm. yeah, they, hmm, uh, maybe, maybe. I'm sure our listeners have listened to, uh, watched uh, Halloween 4 and uh, Sweet 16, but they both end with the um, with the very strong suggestion that the surviving, one of the surviving characters has become, the, you've taken on the mantle of evil. Well, that's like Friday the 13th, the final chapter as well, and a new beginning. Yeah. Ooh, and um, Alice Sweet Alice. Yes, indeed. We started it all. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, the movie itself, uh, I think, is a lot of fun. I love the whole, like, just uh, like Joseph was saying, the, the small town vibe. And I love the idea of, like, this um, Nancy Drew type character uh, trying to solve the crime. Uh, it just, I don't know, it gives a, a different feel to it than most, uh, you know, slasher movies. Um, and. Uh, yeah, like overall, I think it's a, a good movie. Not one that I would rewatch over and over, I'd say, um, but um, one that I do like to revisit, you know, maybe every couple of years or so, just, you know, in case I forget who the killer is, Eric. <laughs> um, oh, and as far as the song goes, I love the song and I have it on my playlist of music that I listen to. So sometimes I'll be working and I'll suddenly Melissa will pop into my um you know work mix for my um through my headphones it's kind of like factor four's face to face from island of blood you will hear this song like a hundred times is it um is it available commercially the song or did you just rip it from youtube um it's yeah it's just a youtube one yeah but it did get um released on vinyl the soundtrack in fact meep i think sent me um he said he picked up the vinyl uh recently <laughs> Oh, oh, I thought then. you were being sarcastic. No. Well, apparently the, the Sweet Melissa song was released as a single and didn't do anything because I don't, obviously the film, I don't think the film's particularly successful, but it was, yeah, it was released as a single. So, um, well, should we move on to some background and then we can always chip in with some more thoughts on the film. So, uh, Rob, do you have anything 
I do have a few things. Do you know first that soundtrack? Is that like a re-release or or was it released when the film came out? I'm just looking at the soundtrack listing here on Discogs.com. It came out in 1983 on Regency International. Yeah, and it has got the Melissa song as track number one. Um, but there's five for sale, starting at five uh, euro. That's uh, from somewhere in Finland. But it seems to be uh, vinyl only from 1983. I don't think it, it's. I don't see a reissue for it on CD here. I'm afraid. Well, there's quite a lot of. I mean, I've got the Final Exam vinyl that was released yeah. at the same time. So mm. there were quite a lot of these films did have soundtrack. Um, surprise! Some yeah, of the films it might surprise you, but yeah, I just know a lot of films like that. They they didn't have soundtracks when they came out, but then you know a company like Death Waltz or someone mm. will re-release a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as background, I read the production on Sweet Sixteen began in September 1982 and finished in October 1982. That the film was released in September of 1983. Yeah, I've not really been able to piece that together because um, there's an interview with Anna Kimmel that, uh, from October of 1983 where she said that she'd filmed it three and a half years before, which would have put it in the summer of, um, or put it in 1979, which clearly isn't 1979. I mean, I would guess from Anna Kimmel's um, blouse that it was a 1982 production. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. It mm. didn't really make sense. I figured it was just her, you know, misremembering or maybe she got the two films mixed up and you know, they had seen her in Friday the Thirteenth and Catherine Sweet Sixteen, or I don't know. I think but, no, I think you're right. They had uh, well, that's what she claimed. She said they had seen it, but she said that they'd become aware of her. I mean, very possibly they were trying to get the film a distribution deal, so they may have been showing it to companies to try and get a distribution deal, and that may be how someone saw her in Sweet Sixteen before it was commercially released. So uh, that I mean, that kind of makes that makes kind of more sense, perhaps. Yeah. Um, other than that, uh, Don Shanks, which you know we already talked about, um, he got his start playing uh, Nakoma, the Native American friend of Grizzly Adams in The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams, the film and TV series. But he, you know, as you guys probably know, he was also in many slasher movies. He played Michael Myers in Halloween Five, as was mentioned. He was the Santa climbing in the window in Silent Night, Deadly Night. He was an excavation worker in Ghost Dance. He was Coach Jacoby in Urban Legends Bloody Mary. And he was the fisherman in I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer. He also did the stunt coordination or performed stunts in most of those films. And he was also the stunt coordinator in Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. <gasps> Garbage day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Other than that, I have um, I actually have a question for a trivia question for Eric. Yes. Do you know what two actors from Sweet 16 were in James Bond films? From Sweet 16? Oh, Patrick McNee is in A View to a Kill. Right. Um, I'm trying to think who else is in there. Bo Hopkins. Don Stroud. I can't think of another one. Steve Anton, was he in one? No. Nope. No, it was uh, actually Don Stroud. Oh, was it? What was? Which one was he in? Oh, he's in Diamonds for Forever. He was in License to Kill. Is he? As it was what? Toupee, if you go back and watch it, it <laughs> looks like something died on his head. <laughs> I love A View to a Kill. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's a classic. Um, okay, other than that, let's see. Um, actually, the role of Dr. John Morgan, which was played by Patrick McNee, was originally... Um, it was going to be Leslie Nielsen, but I guess he couldn't do it due to scheduling. 
So another slasher connection there with Prom Night. Um, I guess at the time, so if this was filmed in 1982, um, the two things that Leslie Nielsen did in 1983 were a romance called Foxfire Light and the made-for-TV disaster film Cave-In. So I assume it was probably one of those that he was filming. Um, he also, I think the original Police Squad came out around 1982, so could have been working on that too. But those are... Um, some of the things Leslie Nielsen was doing at the time. Wasn't Creepshow uh, 1982 as well? It may have been that. That was released before they started filming, assuming you know it actually was filmed in 1982. But yeah, it could have been. He was in a couple other things in 1982 as well. The two lead actresses, Dana Kimmel and Elisa Shirley. Dana Kimmel was 23, supposedly, when this was being filmed. And Elisa Shirley was 19 much older than their 15 or 16 year old characters. Um, and I remember the first time I saw sweet 16, I, re- I remember it in my mind that Dana Kimmel was a lot younger, seemed a lot younger, but rewatching it this time, there's no way that she's anywhere near 15 years old. And Susan Strasberg, which we mentioned, she was also in bloody birthday. Um, and that's all that I have. Excellent. Well, thank you, Rob. That was uh, loads of good information there. So uh, thank you for that. And I was going to mention, I think also Susan Strasberg, she was in the um, the Psycho, one of the Psycho ripoffs from the early 60s or um, Taste of Fear. I think it was Taste of Fear. I might have got the name wrong. But so she had a kind of proto slasher pedigree as well. So uh, yeah, thank you, Rob. Let's see, uh, Nathan, what do you have for us? Um, one thing. Um, do you guys remember the sequence when the they're sitting outside and one of the girls makes a comment about what Melissa's wearing and she says she might as well take her clothes off? Yeah. Yeah. Remember that scene? Okay. Well, factually, I don't know if you guys noticed, but when you actually see Melissa, her outfit is not inappropriate whatsoever. Oh, that's your background. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, like, if you look at their outfit, like, it's it's totally, like, fine. So hmm. I just wanted to throw that out there in case you guys didn't notice that part. I think they were just being sort of bitchy teenage girls, weren't they? Being mean girls. Put that nugget of info in the Smithsonian. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I mean, it just it popped into my head. And I thought, oh, I should say that because I'll forget if I don't. Um, so there you have it. That's well, my trivia. Thank you very much. Uh, Joseph, how about you? Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot out there. Um, I don't, I mean, you may know more about this, Justin, but I don't think Sweet 16 got much of a cinema release here. I know it played regionally in uh, South Carolina in January of 1983, but I couldn't find any evidence that it played like in a wider um, scope, though it did get a theatrical one sheet, which is that image of Melissa holding the bloody knife. Uh, it was very different from the VHS release, but it did hit the video stores in September of 1983 via Vestron, and it retailed at $69.95. So adjusted for inflation means you too can have Sweet 16 on VHS in 2022 for the low price of $203.04. Um, that's uh, that's quite a jump there. Uh, was it 39 years ago, something like that? Um, that's really all I have, man. I couldn't find this playing on any TV station though. I, I have memories of it playing on TBS at one point, but I couldn't find any TV listers or anything like that that I usually look up. So, uh, just it's kind of scarce on sweet 16. Okay. Well, no problem. Thank you. Uh, Eric, how about you? 
Uh, yeah, I've only got a few things, I'm afraid. Steve Anton, who we mentioned, played uh, Dana Kimmel's brother in this. He was also in Last American Virgin, which is 1982, and went on to be in The Goonies in 1985. But he went on to write and direct a film that I am going to predict here, Mystic Meg, that uh, Nathan is a big fan of. Are you a fan of Burlesque, starring Cher and Christina Aguilera? Yes. I thought you would be. Yeah, he he wrote and directed that. There we go. Um, the book that Dana Kimmel is reading in this, in the dream sequence at the start, which I love because it has nothing to do with the rest of the film. And it kind of sets it up to look like it's set in a gothic um, kind of castle. Um, but anyway, the the book has the artwork of Jim Sotos's the earlier film called Forced Entry. Uh, and of course, the novel is just called Murder Mystery, which I love. Um did we mention the different opening on the theatrical version? Uh, you know, in an attempt to push the Marcy character more to the forefront, they did that, uh, you know, that opening sequence of Dana Kimmel reading the novel and having a nightmare about some zombie at the window. But the original opening uh, focused on Melissa in the shower, all nudie. Uh, and it, it sort of panned around her bedroom at various sort of objects, giving us, a, you know, an insight into her character. Um but uh, yeah, I think possibly, I, I'm not, maybe Justin, you know more about this, but maybe they wanted to push Marcy to the forefront because of the success of Friday the 13th Part 3. I don't know. That's correct. So from what the, the Jim mm. Harper documentary, mini documentary on the 88 Films release, the Blu-ray, does talk about how there are a couple of different versions of the movie and they did recut it uh, to push the Marcy character to the forefront after the success of Friday 13th Part 3. So it was purely a kind of commercial uh, decision to do that. So any anything? thank you, Eric. Anything else? Oh, uh, just that I was looking up that uh, song on Discogs, as I said, but it's uh, Melissa, performed by Frank Spark, is also available on a cassette-only compilation from, uh, it doesn't give me a year here, but it's called Solid Slow. And uh, there's one for sale secondhand at the price of 34 uh, euro 51 cent from somewhere in the United States. Um, but the cassette also has wonderful tracks by Anne Murray, Sarah Brightman, um, Ireland's own Foster and Allen, and Olivia Newton-John, who I do like. Um, but uh, yeah, Melissa is on that compilation as well as being on the official soundtrack. Thank you. Eric, I was just going to mention, there's a few things that I haven't mentioned. There's some stuff that I've dug up since the commentary. So I'll just talk about those um, uh, to start off with. It was just the, I found a funny um, article in the um, uh, the Staten Island Gazette, I think it was, or one of the papers from around there. It's where the director, Jim Sotos, was was from. Uh, and he took his, his mom to see Sweet 16 at the cinema. Uh, and had to complain to the projectionist because the sound was so bad. And apparently the projectionist says something along the lines of, it's because the movie's bad. Um, so that would have been a, a fun time out of the cinema with his mom. Um, he was also a musician musician who had uh, directed, I think directed some shows on Broadway or off-Broadway. Uh, and he cl- claimed that Sweet 16 was, in his words, unique. Now, he had made a film which I've not seen um which was a, I think, I think I'm trying to remember, I might be wrong on this, but I think it's a remake of a kind of roughy porno movie. Uh, it's a film from 1976 called Forced Entry, um, which was about um, a serial rapist who kind of stalks and murders women. And uh, the reason I mention it is it actually has uh, had very early appearances by two 
um, actresses that went on to have um, very kind of long careers um, or, or relatively long careers or certainly notable appearances in cult and horror movies. Um, and that was Tanya Roberts and Nancy Allen. So that was uh, one of their very early roles. And I think this Sweet 16 was the first film he'd done after uh, that movie. So almost, um, almost a 10-year uh, break between the two. Um, I mentioned that Dana Kimmel had um, uh, about an interview that I found with her when she was ostensibly promoting the movie. Now, she had a similar attack of promoting Friday 13th Part 3 when she famously said that she um, boasted that she managed to get them to tone down the violence and the sex in Friday 13th Part 3. Um, so it's kind of similar thing. Uh, the, the, the sort of interesting background she gave on uh, Sweet 16 was that she visited Fresno um, in October of 1983 to see herself on screen because apparently her then boyfriend hadn't seen the movie. Um, she claimed in that article that the film had been shot three and a half years ago, which uh, obviously wasn't correct. Um, uh, she actually says, and again, this she's I'm not sure you know the, the press junket, but it's uh, she actually says it's not a great film, but she liked her part in it. Um, she went on to say, and this of course this is all post Friday Thirteenth Part Three, which they mentioned in the article. She said she wanted to go on to do family entertainment, and had set guidelines on what she would and wouldn't do. Um, uh, she said that uh, movies have become far too violent and sexy, and said that people shouldn't be embarrassed to take their dates to a movie. Um, she claimed uh, that they changed the script that she originally read for, and originally it was a great family type film, which I find it a little bit difficult to believe believe that. Although, if uh, this is why I think I mentioned about the way her performance is so broad and over the top, it feels like she's doing a kind of a kids TV movie, or like a Nancy Drew or a Hardy Boys. It kind of feels like it, what her performance is giving is much lighter than the kind of perhaps like say the dark ending to the film and also some of the kind of the more extreme um, aspects of it. So I very possibly that she thought she, but again, it's, it's still a film about someone murdering uh, a teenage boy. So it can't be too much of a family type film. Um, she said that she said no to profanity or nudity uh, and said that she was embarrassed that she called a girl a bitch in Sweet 16 and said she would just wouldn't do that now in any film. Uh, and uh, she said that she was disappointed that um, and felt sorry for Alicia Shirley, who she said that producers uh, persuaded to come back um, after finishing filming the uh, finished filming the film, uh, and persuaded the actress to come back to do nude scenes, so resuming the shower scenes. So whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. But Alicia Shirley, I found an interview from her in 19 from 1985. Uh, she talked a bit about how she got into acting, um, said she was spotted by a talent agent when she was in a restaurant, and after just three months of acting, she snagged the lead in Sweet 16. Uh, she said she didn't get along with Susan Strasberg uh, initially until uh, Strasberg apparently realised that she took her acting seriously. And a quote from her in it was that one day we were shooting a big emotional scene and I started crying. I didn't know what was going to happen. Afterwards, I was an emotional wreck. I had a cracked rib during a fight scene. It was about 30 degrees and I was wet and freezing. I'd been up since 5 a.m. and I'd been working 10 hours. Uh, she said that Strasbourg came up to her and said, and they call it acting. And she said they got okay, on okay after that. Um, the film was barely reviewed as far as I could see. Uh, I found a couple of uh, capsule reviews for the film. The Herald critic Bill Cosford uh, said that Sweet 16... 
Uh, it showed more evidence of the slasher boom. It's playing itself out. Uh, gave it a one-star review. Um, and again, and points out the sheriff says a party is just what the town needs after the first murder. Uh, the only other review I could find was by someone called Dr. Alan Hassan um, in his column, Cinematic Sentiments. Uh, let's go to the movies. Um, where kind of a local uh, a local uh, paper uh, is reviewed alongside Rumblefish. And his very short review just says, we don't recommend slice and dice films, but if you must see one this year, Sweet 16 will do. A quality slasher flick? No such thing, of course. But this one is a cut, sorry, above the others. With Bo Hopkins excellent as a Texas sheriff tracking down the killer of naughty Melissa's boyfriends. Indians, question mark, maybe. Gorehounds and voyeurs may be disappointed with the brevity of the killings and the nudity. But seven or eight recognisable characters, um, uh, character actors, turn in fine performances in this tidy, suspenseful little thriller. The outcome is horrible. Also, the last scene is confusing and should be cut. So uh, I'm sure there are more reviews out there, but I, I didn't find them. But uh, yeah, so that's stuff that we haven't covered in the commentary. And I, I, you know, we're not being paid by 88 to say this, but if you, there's a lot more that we did cover in the commentary. So uh, if you've got it, have another listen. And if you haven't, then uh, do pick it up. And the one last thing I was going to say, it got us, looks like it got, um, uh, yeah, well, it looks, I'm not sure if it got a cinema release because it got rated by the BBFC on the 9th of November 1982, uh, it got an X rating, um, which was, so that was kind of pre, obviously the kind of the 18 certificate. So it wasn't obviously, we mentioned before, it's like horror films had X ratings in the UK up until they changed the rating system. But it was uh, for, for a company called Video Program Distri Distributors Limited, which kind of suggests, I don't know if that suggests that it got a um, uh, cinema release or not, but, uh, yeah, so I'd say plenty more on the commentary, but um, I thought we'd dug up some new stuff. So I hope you enjoyed that. So, uh, yeah, anything left to say on Sweet 16? I just wanted to add that you had mentioned um, Jim Soros's other film, uh, Forced Entry, the remake. Mm. I remember a few years ago, um, Code Red was putting it out on Blu-ray um, under its other title, The Last Victim. And it was, I guess it, the film's actually rated PG. I don't know if it was cut from something, but... I just remember a huge, you know, ordeal, you know, with people as they always do with Code Red complaining about the release. Oh, this is the PG rated version, but I couldn't find any evidence of there being another version of that film. So I'm not, I'm not sure if, if it was cut or if that's the only version out there. A lot of those proto slashers or thrillers from the seventies would get a PG rating, uh, like Blood and Lace was rated PG, even though it's kind of graphic. So it may be the same case with, the, with that with Fort Century as well. Yeah. I just don't know if people were thinking of the original, like they were thinking it was going to be the hardcore version and it's a completely different film or what. I just, I just remember big furor over that film when Code Red was putting it out. Mm. But, Interesting. Cause I think the original film was like a 1973 kind of uh, a porno movie by Sean Costello. So um, I don't know if it had the same name or not, but uh, it said on the Wikipedia entry for forced entry that it was a, it was a, an R-rated remake of that 1973 porno film. So whether or not it did have an R rating and a PG rating, but again, sort of modern ratings can sometimes change, as Joseph said. So uh, yeah, but interesting. So okay, well let's um, see what the consensus was uh, with uh, the listeners. So do you have that to hand, Joseph? Yeah, uh, 29 comments uh, total for Sweet 16, and Forrest Green writes, um, "I love it, but I." don't really know why as it's quite easy to pick apart but i love but love it i do 
The song, which only seems to have about 12 words, which aren't Melissa, is catchy as well. And Miko Soviari says, Love the poster so much that I wanted to like the film much more than I did. Feels like a TV movie and not in any good way. Boring, not really a slasher, barely a horror movie, and doesn't work as a drama thriller either. Follow us on Facer, Instabook, and Twittergram. Listen on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and about a billion other podcatchers. For exclusive content, check us out on Patreon. Feedback and general nonsense can be lobbed our way at thehysteriacontinues at gmail.com. Excellent, yes. And we're just about to, um, after the show, record uh, one of our Patreon things. We're doing uh, covering my choice of train to Busan. Well, um, Eric, I think we know what's coming next. It's my joke of the week. It's so, so what do you call a really nice youngster who's ill on their birthday? A sweet sick teen. You're welcome. Oh my god. Oh my god. I do apologise, Rob. It's probably worse hearing it in the flesh than hearing it on the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I, I always like Eric's jokes. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. I didn't say they were good. I just said I liked them. <laughs> <gasps> oh, shade. Shade, yeah. So, um, okay, was there hmm, anything else? Or we, I mean, should we just, are we going to move on to, I, I guess we haven't got any feedback. I have feedback. Oh, do you? Okay. I like turtles. Um, this is from John. Uh, so John says, hey there, boys. I hope you're well. I just wanted to send a long overdue hello from Toronto and a big thank you for keeping me and uh, somewhat sane for the last few years. I always mean to say hi, but never do. So here's a rambling little greeting. I discovered your show in the before times while I was still working downtown and taking the subway every day. I think you were around the low 100 episodes at that point. Uh, so he goes on to say, so I enjoyed going back and listening to the back catalogue while I waited for new episodes. After I exhausted those, I decided to sign up for Patreon. And holy smokes, I was slash am continually amazed at how much time you guys put into keeping us all entertained. I'm really loving the top threes. I love hearing the old trailers. It's crazy how some years I would have a very difficult time narrowing down my list to just a top three. 1984 obviously and then other years I'd have a hard time finding three I'd even consider to be a top we were looking at you 1993 um, Fango flashbacks are a good time too I was such a geeky horror kid growing up and I had pages from Fangoria and Gorezone taped up on my bedroom walls so when you reference different articles I can picture the batshit crazy photos that went along with them and the silly captions below that used to always crack me up so thanks for those memories too and please keep encouraging your listeners to check out Patreon. They'll wish they'd done so sooner. This is great. It's almost like we wrote this ourselves. Um, I just listened to your Killer Workout episode tonight. There's a bunch of episodes I haven't listened to yet because I haven't watched the movie. So it's fun going back to an older episode once I finally cross the title off my list. And then I can hear your take on it. On that note, Killer Workout slash Aerobicide there's that joke again. Um, he says, Killer Workout slash Aerobicide was silly fun. Uh, Rhonda's big reveal when we realised just why she's been wearing such long sleeves all this time was amazing. Um, 
then uh, now if you forgive me John I'm going to edit edit down your uh, he gives us a list here of what he's recently been watching so I'll just give you the uh, some some of the points he says Scream 5 he enjoyed this new one and thought it was nice thought it nicely opened up potential for a new series with this newer cast and not have to keep bringing the legacies out of retirement uh, he watched The Fog with the commentary track. Uh, this is the original Fog from 1980 uh, with uh, Adrian Barbeau, Tom Atkins and Tommy Lee Wallace, which was great fun. Uh, Come to Daddy. Uh, this one is odd and a real slow burn, but it turns into a pretty wild time. And and except for an unfortunate haircut, Elijah Wood looks really great in it. There you go, Nathan. Um Texas Chainsaw 2022, the requel. Uh, pretty bad, but it managed to be better than I expected it to be, so I still enjoyed it. I think it would have been better not including Sally at all, which I think is kind of what you were saying, Justin, about it. Um, the TV series Chucky. I think it's a fun show, and I can see how it's starting to tie into the overall story arc, but mostly I'm just in awe of these kids and how they're totally uh, role models slash superheroes. And Slumber Party Massacre, the remake. I was surprised by it. The, rig- the original is one of my favourites, so I expected this one to be hot garbage. That's a great term. I think I'll use that for when I'm describing Susie. Um, and it absolutely was, but they kept surprising me and throwing in these fun little twists throughout that I was not expecting. So good for them for doing something different. So that's... Uh, Whoa, I got way too chatty there, he says. So I'll wrap up this for now. Thanks again for the laughs, gentlemen. Be well. And that's from John in Toronto. And he has a PS here. And Justin, you've got to listen to this PS, okay? One small favour to ask of you. If you wouldn't mind, please try being a bit nicer to Eric. He's a sweet lad and it breaks my heart when you all are mean to him. Be a buddy, not a bully. Oh, that's, that's lovely you added that to. Yeah, if, only, if only he could read our messenger chats, then he'd feel differently. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what any of you are talking about. Well, I, I will try, Eric, but I'm going to ask you, inspired by John's email, do you have trouble finding a top? I like turtles. That's all I have to say. Okay. So, okay. Well, um, thank you, Rob, so much for coming on and sharing your views on Sweet 16 uh, and also your, you know, some background. That was uh, fantastic stuff. So, um is there anything you want to tell us about that you're up to at the moment? I don't know if there's anything you're, you'd like to share with us. Um, not really. No? Not really doing anything right now. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. So, um, but uh, yeah, well, hopefully uh, you will get you back on the show uh, pretty soon. So uh, have you enjoyed your debut on Hysteria Continues? Um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Kind of scared to listen back to the episode, but <laughs> no, I'm doing it. No, I think this was a fun episode, so I think uh, I think uh, people enjoy listening to it. So um, I kind of guess it's uh, customary to announce what we are covering next time. So whose whose choice is it next time? It's me, I think. Yes, we are going back to the video nasty era for a bit of Italian splatter. Uh, Anthropophagus, the beast, aka the Grim Reaper. Uh, although the Anthropophagus cut is better because it's full of. Um, well, intestines. Ooh, scary. <laughs> Excellent. So, okay, yeah, we'll be back with some gut-munching Italian video nasty stuff next time on Hysteria Continues. Uh, and uh, all I can say is thank you for listening. And, I, and in case you wondered what we're playing out with, I think we have to play out. I, c- I should have looked up. Um, actually, Eric might be able to find it on the soundtrack. Who actually produced or who actually performed? Frank Spark. Frank Sparks. 
Sorry, Sparks. Yeah, Frank Sparks. His finest hour. So, okay. So we'll be playing out with that. And we will catch you next time on History Continues. So uh, thank you for listening. And say goodbye to the good people. Bye. 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 Melissa. Are you still with us, Melissa? Melissa, what are you thinking, sweet Melissa? Are you with us still, Melissa? You look so far away. What's that you're saying, sweet Melissa? That's not like you now, Melissa. What's that look upon your Melissa